you think about Mother's Day, Mother's Day is filled with not only joy, uh, but for some it's sadness. And as you come into this day, and as pastor types like me as well, we recognize it's a time where many are filled with just celebration, but for some, uh, they wonder whether they really want to come, particularly because this is the day that mothers are to be celebrated. And as you think about that, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine that actually I've had an opportunity to go to Israel with, he, he sent out a, a post this week on his Facebook page. He says, you know, I, I am filled with gladness and sadness on this day. Gladness for me because my experiences with my mom has been one filled with joy and the mother of my children, but I'm more than aware of the mothers and ladies in our church as well as around the communities that I know that, that some face this day with heavy heart. And it might be not only the ladies, but the men as well, as they think their mothers have now passed, or their wives, who are the mothers of their children, have passed, or as they look at their experiences, it's filled with sadness more than gladness. Another prayer that I, I read this week from someone concerning a pastor concerning this day, I thought, put it well also. Dear God, none of us have had perfect moms, but we honor our moms this weekend on Mother's Day because you ch chose them to create each of us. Lord, for many, Mother's Day is a difficult day, and if we ask you to comfort those who have heartaches today, we, we do what you want us to do, which is to rejoice with those who rejoice, but weep with those who weep. For those who have lost their mothers, comfort. For mothers who've lost a child, comfort. For those who know the pain of infertility, might you comfort them. For the stepmoms who struggle with blending a family, might you comfort them. For those who have had a delayed adoption or one that has never come, those who are still struggling with infertility, might you wrap your arms around these women, dear Lord. We've also said, rejoice with those who rejoice. So we celebrate those who've given birth this year to a brand new baby. We celebrate with those who have adopted children into their home and those who have graciously and warmly welcomed foster children who need a loving home. Lord, we thank you for our moms in every stage of life. We thank you for the mothers of preschoolers whose work is never finished. We thank you for the moms... I just got to jump in here. I was, uh, I was with my daughter, Cindy, this past week, and, and Jack, who's uh, three years of age, and she is in the process of teaching him how to do chores. Uh, anybody remember how to do that, uh, responsibilities? And this was, this was Jack's brilliant comment. <laughs> I wasn't made for working. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so I was made for playing. Uh, so anyway, so your job is never done. We thank you for the moms with kids in grade school who play chauffeur, chauffeur and, and pack lunches and help with homework every day. We thank you for moms who feel both the pride and the ache of now being in the empty nest stage. On this Mother's Day, Lord, we commit ourselves to honoring, to loving, and protecting the mothers in our lives. And we thank you for the gift of mothers. We pray for your blessing on them now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as you think about Mother's Day, and uh, as you think about Mother's Day, I just want you to let you know it's not in the Bible. There is no verse that says, thou shalt have the Mother's Day on the second Sunday in May. Uh, it's actually Jesus Day. Every Sunday is Jesus Day. In fact, every day is 
Jesus Day in which we are called to honor and celebrate him. But as you think about that, the, uh, the very simple historical perspective on American Mother's Day, I think happened around 1907 with a, a lady named Anna Jarvis who was in a Methodist church and brought it to the point where they dedicated that day to celebrate mothers. What you may or may not know is that a few years later, she was somewhat disappointed to how this day was now being celebrated. In fact, in the 20s, it is said that she tried to get a movement going on to actually boycott Mother's Day. And one of the reasons of that, or the primary reason, it it had become much too commercial. That not really spending time with the mother was to send a gift, send a card, and then get it over with. And it was all about a money-making business in corporate America. And so as you think about Mother's Day, not only is it a a disappointment to some who are filled with heartache more than uh, feelings of joy on this day, even the one who started it had some misgivings to celebrate it uh, on a particular day in which you gather in church to celebrate Jesus. And so on this day in which we're going to look at that, we're going to look a little bit about how God's Word, particularly wherever you're at, can speak into the home, speak into a role you might have, whether it's the role of mothering or the role of, of uh, caring for the needs of others. And as you think about that, even as you bring children into the world, it, it requires that you're going to go through some, the S word, some suffering. All right, it's going to require some pain. Uh, and as you think about that, why, why would you do that? Why, why would you do it more than once as I began the service? Because you're filled with the hope or confidence that despite the pain that brings the child in, it will resort in more joy or happiness than pain. And even as you go through the, the raising of children and they bring you much suffering or pain because of how they're turning out at the moment, you're still filled with hope that it's quite possible that something will t- turn around and, and this life that you so cherished when they came in, that you'll be able to experience more joy in the future. And, and so as we think about that, even though we live in a world in which marriages are being destroyed all the time and fractured, is we want, we want to give you hope. And, and, and the hope that we have is not wishful thinking. That, that God, when God is in our lives, uh, the, the sense of what hope is, is that we can have confidence that God is always faithful to his promises. And, and really, our source of joy is not that God will change our circumstances, because let's be honest, God has not promised that he will change your circumstances. But he has promised he'll change your character. And when he changes your character, you'll experience a dimension of joy that only those who see the purpose of life can really understand. And that's why that often quoted but often struggled with promise found in James chapter 1. I count it all joy when you encounter various trials or suffering. Because there's a purpose behind it. That in the midst of all you go through and, and raising of families, uh, it'll make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Always might not be exactly the path you had anticipated to go on, but God who is within you, if you know him, will take everything that goes on in your life and, and mix it up so that in the future, you become a person who understands what life is all about and 
and know more deeply the, the source of your life and realize there's a joy in knowing that one who ultimately did bring you into this world, the living God, and wants to have a relationship with you. When, when you think about families that, that get destroyed, um, you know, there's the three I's that describe that. There's, they say, invit, invit, infidelity, uh, incompatibility, irreconcilable differences. But you know, if they, if they graph more concrete things, they'll say the number one reason marriages break up is over money or finances. If they, you know, people just don't have enough or they don't like where it's spent is what the theorem is all about. You know, the, you know Jeff Bezo and his wife didn't have enough money, right? They only had $200 billion. The, the Gates, okay, Bill and Melinda Gates, they didn't have enough money as well. They had 120 or $124 billion. Now, after an extended period of time being together, 27 years and 25 years, both those marriages are ending in what? Divorce. Now, let's be honest. They had difficult times. I don't know. It couldn't have been about finances. But whatever it was, it didn't reach the expectations that either one of them really wanted. And, and I want to submit to you, not only they're going to go through all kinds of different experiences as a result of that, but the fallout will also happen on their children. I, I thought I would say, do anybody know who Jennifer, Phoebe, and Rory is? Well, that's the children of the Gates. And we'll, we'll see what the story ends in their life as they will have some you know, change to start off with. They don't want to spoil them, so they're only going to give them $10 million you know, in terms of starting off in their lives. But money doesn't make people merry or happy, but a relationship with the living God does. But as we think about having a relationship with the living God, we need to recognize, and we, we say this often here, is that knowing Jesus is awesome, but it's not always, what, easy. And so today, again, we're going to look at, at Peter, who had a vital relationship with Jesus. It had its ups and downs because he didn't always trust him fully. And particularly when he wasn't in his physical presence, it, it changed everything. And then, then the Holy Spirit began to reside in his own life permanently. And when he relied upon him, everything changed. And not only had he lived to experience and in the midst of suffering, there's still joy and hope that you can hold on to. But he now was sharing that with others. So on this morning in which we're celebrating and with, for some with tears because they're going through difficult times and with others just a, a feeling of, of celebration, we, we want to get where life is lived. And we're going to get back to 1 Peter. And, and we're going to look at in the midst of whatever you're experiencing in your home or in your circumstances right now that you can be filled with hope. That God is always faithful to his promises. That God never wastes a pain in your life, in my life. And though we might not always enjoy what we're going through, we know that ultimately God has our life in his hands. And if we follow his plan, we'll experience the fullness of what he wants us to experience. That life that he described as abundant and be filled with his joy when we trust in him. So let's look to the, prayer, uh, the Lord in prayer one more time and then we'll look to his word. Let's pray together. Father, I would pray on this day in which we've gathered together that we might be people who uh, 
look at life not through the, the lens of uh, Pollyanna and the, and, the, and the literature of the past where everything looked bright and cheerful on the outside, but the reality at times life is not always cheerful on the outside. But Father, we long to be able to experience the joy of life that is on the inside because you can dwell within us. Help us to take your word and, and apply it to our lives. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a little bit different type of Mother's Day message. We're going to be talking about suffering today. And we're going to be talking about how to get through suffering and what are some of the reasons for suffering. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And, and we're going to be looking at, at Peter, again, speaking into people's lives and saying, look, you should be filled so, with so much joy, even in the midst of going through difficult times. And I just want to remind you, he said, you know, it's, it's not going really well now, and I want to let you know it's going to get worse. And this is not a pep talk getting into the second half of a game, but I say it's going to get worse, but even when it gets worse, you can know it's always going to get better in the end. And, and because of that, you can go through life filled with the presence of God, experiencing his life in your life, experiencing his joy in your life, and respond to suffering in such a way that you're always ready to tell other people about Jesus no matter what you're going through. But as he does that, he recognizes there's always a pushback. You know, it sounds good in church, but then you got to live the rest of the week. And how, how do I do that? And so we're going to pick up a little bit where we left off last week, get a running start. And we're simply going to make some statements about, you know, why suffering? Are there are some reasons why we ought to embrace that? Not, not want it. We're not masochists here. Give me more pain. Give me more pain. But when suffering happens, when difficult times happen, when things happen you don't like or want, then how, why should you respond to it in a way that's going to honor God by trusting him through it? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, and then verse 17, we'll look at uh, the first of the reasons that at least I've, I've tried to, to line up for us to consider when, when life is not always going well and looking for ways to understand our suffering when we're right in the midst of it. And he says in verse 16, and, and keep a good conscience so in the thing in which you are slandered, which would be a form of suffering, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right than for doing what is wrong. And to put it very simply, and this is how I'm kind of trying to uh, put it in a plain way. Are there any ways to understand suffering? It actually might be God's will for us, even when it is not fair. And, and, and really, I think our culture now is caught up in the fairness doctrine. You know, we don't usually use doctrine for, you know, a worldview. But really, that's, that's what drives people. If it's fair, then okay. But if it's not fair, then let's fight, right? And, and what are you saying here? I, I want you to understand that you're going to have times when you suffer. And sometimes you suffer because you've just made some bad decisions. You made some bad choices. The reason you're suffering is what you have done. You know, you, if you want to know why you're in what you're in, then simply look in the... Does anybody like that? You know, you know, I hate it when I have to only blame myself and I can't blame the people around me. But as we think about that, is it's, it's one way, it's one experience to suffer knowing you deserve what you're getting. But it's another experience of life when you're suffering and you say, this is just not fair. 
It's not my fault, or it's not mostly my fault. I can point the finger at all kinds of other people or one particular person. You know, why am I the way I am? Because my mother made me this way. You know, whatever it might be, okay, is that we can always blame somebody for the condition we are in. And there might be some truth in it, but he's saying, I want you to understand that if you're going to suffer, suffer for not doing that which is wrong, but suffer for doing that which is right, which is, in our language, simply say, there are going to times you are suffering when it's simply not fair. But I also want to throw in just for free here, right before that, he says, oh, I want you to have a good conscience. And I want to throw this out to all of us as we think about, well, how does God kind of personally work within us? And in many ways, sometimes we'll make reference to, and the scripture does as well, that he works through our conscience. Now, I want you to understand that the conscience is not specifically the voice of God. It's that what God does in making up our soul, our spirit, the immaterial part of who we are. We got the earth suit that we're wearing, all of you are wearing earth suits right there, okay? You got, you got a physical body, but there's something on the inside. Would you agree with me so far? Okay, and partly within what that is, there's a conscience. And what the conscience is, you're not going to get a microscope to be able to see, see it physically. But what it is, it's that part of you that discerns between right and wrong. But I want you to understand for all of us, it, it's like a muscle. You know, if, if, if you work a muscle in the right way, it gets... Stronger. You got to help me out here. Get stronger. If you don't work the muscle in the right way, it's going to get what? Weaker. And so we need to understand that. The, the Bible says, look, you got a conscience there. You've made in the image of God. I've given you the capacity to know right from wrong. I can give you the capacity to, to know what you ought to do and what not to do. It's shaped by all the things around you, the world, and the evil one is trying to, to mess you up as well. Uh, the Spirit of God and the Word of God speaks into that. But what you need to do is activate your conscience in such a way that it's healthy and not unhealthy. And, and when you do that, the Bible says that you have a a good conscience or a pure conscience. And with that, God prompts you to do what is right rather than do what is wrong. But if your conscience gets calloused when, when it's not worked the right way, then you can defy their conscience. There, there are many people who never feel guilty about anything, right? The, the only thing they feel guilty about is if they get caught. But for those who walk with God and are trying to do what he wants us to do, we want to have a sensitive conscience so we, we know what he wants us to do. We want to apply his word to our lives. We want to be sensitive to his spirit and the people around us so that he directs us in such a way that when life happens, we're responding the right way. Isn't that what we really want in life? We live in a broken world. In a broken world, we're going to suffer. We need to choose our suffering. Choose not to suffer for doing wrong, but choose to suffer for doing right. And the way that's going to be governed is make sure that we have a good conscience, that we're sensitive to what he is trying to say to us, rather than what sometimes what we want to say to ourselves. Uh, you know, I, I, I love to argue and debate, you know, just for fun, all right? And, um, and, and sometimes I'll argue and debate within myself. Anybody do that? You know, and then I try to figure out who, who should win this time, you know. But, you know, we'll, we'll do that. And then I think, well, you know, it's all right to debate, but there's, there's someone who always has the right answers and his way is always the best, and that's who? That's God. But when, when it doesn't seem to fit with what I want to experience at the moment, I'll run from him rather than to him. And particularly when we suffer and when life's not fair, we want to revolt, don't we? 
And he's just pleading with them. Look at this is where the Christian life is awesome, not easy. When we experience his presence, what will result in joy. And ultimately, we know our future is settled. So trust him and recognize that it is God's will for us to go through certain sufferings. I have to be careful. I'm never going to get out the first point. This is all for free as well. Um, you know, prayer is, I was going to say a mystery. That, that word is defined in a variety of different ways. Uh, prayer is a, is a challenge to pray the right way at times. Would you agree? The Bible even talks about the Spirit of God helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray. Have you ever prayed uh, for yourself or for someone else to get out of a trial or a circumstance? I have. Okay. And I think it's okay to do that. I think we need to tag on, however, for a variety of reasons that, okay, but God, it's quite possible you don't want them to get out of that trial or circumstances because you're still teaching them something that they'll only learn as they go through that. Isn't that a sobering thought? And that's really what he's saying here. It, it, it's, he says, look in verse, and he says this later on, as we'll see throughout the first Peter. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer. Is it quite possible what we're going through or what you're going through? I'd rather you go through it than I go through it. But you're suffering. Because that, that's how God shapes us. Or that's one of the ways he shapes us. So as we think about, and, and let's just keep in the context a little bit on Mother's Day, in, in our homes, okay, there are going to be times where our homes don't, don't play out like we would like them to play out. There, it's, it's not happening. And, and God ultimately has a plan, but some of those suffering experiences God is using to shape you, not only for yourself, but for others as well, because he never, he never wastes a pain in your life that you can't empathize and help another with. But then he goes on and he actually gets a little theological here, which he actually always is. He's always talking about God. Theology is simply the study of God. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And that one verse there, it's, it's kind of like John 3.16 with a little bit more technical theology in it. This is what happened that brought us into that relationship with God. And when that happened, it required the Son of God, who was and is perfect, was sinless, for God to bring us into relationship with him, to have the opportunity to be brought into relationship with him. Jesus had to, and the S word here, he had to what? He had to suffer. He had to suffer for us. And so one practical way to look at this in terms of not only deciding if do you want what God only can offer? Is to recognize that it, that allows us, when we think about Jesus suffered, when we suffer, then we follow the example of Jesus, right? If suffering, if, if Jesus was too good for suffering, are we ever, and he did suffer, are we ever too good to not suffer? You understand what I just said? I don't know if I said it backwards. But the reality is, some, well, you know, why do bad things happen to, to good people, right? Most of us don't care about bad things happening to, right? Isn't that true? Let's be honest. Let's be honest in church. If, if bad people get it, they got what they deserve, right? 
But when good people get it, it <laughs> that's not fair. That's that fairness doctrine. Well, okay, so let's apply that to the Son of God. Let's apply it to Jesus. Jesus suffered for our sake, didn't he? And so when I go through things that, that I don't like, that are difficult, and our suffering doesn't compare to what Jesus went through, but as we think about that, Jesus went through suffering. And whenever we suffer and suffer well, not that we enjoy it, but we enjoy the result of it, then we're following the example of Jesus. Why are, are, there, are there ways to understand suffering? Number one, it actually might be God's will for us even when it's not fair. Secondly, it allows us to follow the example of Jesus in that his suffering was for the ultimate benefit of others. And I got to throw in some Mother Day analogies here, right? We've already stated is that the reason every one of us is here is because your mother was willing to go through suffering so you could be born. She did it not for her own sake, but for the sake of the life that was to come. And really, we need to understand that, that our suffering is often not just simply for our sake, but for the sake of others. And if we, if we could just remind ourselves of that, it would change everything. Next time, Cindy has told me, I'm not made for working, you know, for a little Jack. Is her, her suffering is to help him realize he was made for working, right? And to keep teaching the same thing over and over and over again. That's the role of the mother, to, to just shape that child. So the, the tendencies or the temperaments that they have that are not God-honoring get changed by the Spirit of God and by their parenting. Thirdly, Let's go on to another passage. And here we get a little bit deeper in the weeds in this particular passage. But I, I wanted to talk about it. I've, I've, I read a number of people who comment on this particular passage. And their conclusion was that we simply can't understand it. So let's don't talk about it and just skip on to the next section. Well, I just want to let you know, any tough passage, I have the right answer. No, I don't have the right answer. There, you know, there are all kinds of, of great men and women who've looked at this passage and have all kinds of ideas about it. And, and if it's not stated clearly, there is, there is room for disagreement. But if you really do want to know the right answer, I will tell you this morning. But, but you know, as you think about it, there is a reason it's in here. Because he wants us to, to catch the, the flow of his, of, his, of his argument that there are ways to understand suffering. And, and suffering has not been new to our day. How many times have we heard that, that, that today must be worse than any other day? I mean, have you heard anybody talk about, I mean, man, where's our culture going? Where's our nation going, man? Couldn't we go back to the good old, good old days, right? Let's be honest. There haven't been any good old days, right? If you really want to study history, there's never been any good old days. And every day has some really good things happening and some really bad things happening. And we just need to recognize that. But what he does here, he goes back to an experience that, that he participated in and gives us a, a, a point, I'll just state it here. As you think about ways to understand suffering, not only does it, does it actually might be God's will for us, it allows us to follow the example of Jesus, it authenticates that Jesus was victorious to the spirits in prison after the cross. Now that's a long statement, but we're gonna, let me say it one more time. It authenticates that Jesus was victorious to the spirits in prison after the cross. 
Now, I don't, I don't want to always use a sports analogy or, or athletic analogy, but if you see in any kind of athletic event and they're just battling with each other, okay, whether it could be a team sport, it could be an individual sport, and at the end, uh, in most contests, okay, um, somebody wins and somebody what? Loses. Now, I, I can only talk from my personal experience, but when I lose, I'm a lot worse off feeling about that whole experience than when I what? Win. And so what he's talking about suffering here, I just want to let you know what he's saying. Look at the suffering was worth it because the suffering required, it resulted in us being victorious. We won. And so he goes this and he says, in, in which also, he's now speaking of Jesus, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Y'all understand what happened right there? Okay. Okay. Many people will ask me, okay, okay, I know what happened on Good Friday. Jesus was crucified. Okay, I know what happens on Sunday. Jesus what? Rose from death. What happened on Saturday. Some of you were still thinking. Some were still thinking. Wayne, is he started yet? I haven't started listening yet. Okay. So Saturday. What happened? What happened on Saturday? Now, there's a couple ways. There's well, two or three major ways to take this passage. He's. he's I think the main point, and that I think when whenever we study a passage of scripture that's somewhat uh, intricate, you know, what's the main idea? I think the main idea. He's saying, look at he. He went down and said, we won. I won. The cross did not defeat me. There's victory at the cross. That's why it's called Good Friday. And everyone's going to know it on Sunday because I've raised from the dead. And so when you suffer, realize that's for a moment in time. But in the end, we all win. And so what he did is, is I would take the, the three, I don't have time to tell you the ideas. I'm just going to tell you my idea. Okay, my understanding. So what happens here is that what Jesus did when he left the cross, he died physically but he did, not, he did not die spiritually. And during that period of time between um, the, empty, uh, the Good Friday and Sunday, he went down to a place called the prison. The prison, in other places called Hades, other places called Gehenna. Some people describe it as hell. There's a place in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. There's a lot of verses we're not going to get to where it's called Taurus or the, the abyss or the prison there as well. And really, it's a place of judgment. Now, some people say, let me just give you my simple explanation of, of where people are right now. There, there are two places, okay? They're not in their final form now, and they're not gonna, they weren't in their final form then, but they are going to eventually be in their final form. There's a place in the presence of God, which we call heaven, and there's a place of judgment, which is away from the presence of God, is called hell. There are other words used throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that describe that in various forms. But basically the idea, there's a place of, of presence with God, which is heaven. And there's a place of judgment from God, which is hell. Some people call the, the realm of, of, uh, of, of, of holding those in various spirit forms, whatever it might be. But basically there's a heaven and there's a hell. There's a place of presence of God and a place of not in the presence of God. What Jesus did here, as I understood it, is that what he did is he went back to demonic spirits that were judged more immediately and harshly than any other demonic experience because in the days of Noah, 
the sons of God, which really were, was an euphemism to say in the angelic realm, went down there, possessed men, went in and had relationships with women and produced an, a, an evil, evil culture, nation, in which God came to the point where it says, they, all they can do is at, at all times think evil. And so he sent the flood and judged them all. But what he did with those angelic beings who tried to circumvent all of God's plan says, I'm judging you right now and threw them in prison. The place of judgment from the presence of God. And some wonder, have asked me this question many times, and again, I'm just sharing my perspective on this. As, as you think about the demonic world, as you think about the evil one, Lucifer, Satan, our adversary, the devil, there's all kinds of word pictures about him. D does he really think, does he really think he's going to win? He is called the deceiver, and I think he's deceived himself. And not only him, but all his dominions underneath him. And, and when they saw Friday, they saw that was, we won Friday. Not that Jesus won Friday. And, and so after it happened, he went down and he proclaimed. He, he, didn't, he didn't evangelize. There's a, there's, a, there's a Greek word for evangelize. Euangelizo. This one is Keruso. Keruso has the idea of proclaim or herald. And when he went down there, he proclaimed that he won. And so all that to say, and that's how I take it. There's a variety of other ways to take it. But what he is saying here for us is, as we think about going through suffering, it changes everything when we think ultimately, is, is, my, is my life going to end in defeat or victory? And when you know you're going to win, it doesn't matter what the score is now, right? You know, when they... When the, the rather Rotown uh, lady sings at the end, okay, uh, <laughs> that we win, right? And, and so well, that changes everything when we think about, okay, this is, this is the hope that we have in Christ, right? It, it could be God's will, what you're going through. So if that is, cooperate what he's trying to teach you. Oh, oh, by the way, you know, when you think you're too good for suffering, you know, Jesus went through suffering and we never suffer as much as Jesus. Would you agree with that? Okay. And, and then thirdly, recognize, okay, Jesus proclaimed the victory. So we do win. Quickly. We only got a couple more verses. All right. It also appeals for, to us for life change and to make a public demonstration of our faith. I'll explain what I mean by that. Look at what he says in verse uh, 21. He says, corresponding to that... And what is he corresponding to? That which the people of Noah's day, and particularly Noah and his eight uh, children and their, their wives, when the waters of judgment came, uh, everyone else got what they deserved, judgment for their sin, but they were saved. They were rescued from the, the waters of the judgment because they were in the ark. And it says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, Peter kind of writes in kind of uh, mysterious word order to try and figure out what exactly he's saying. But let me try to break it down very simply. He said, look it, as you think about what God is doing, it always relates to what God has always done. 
God has always provided a way for those who trust him to be rescued from their sin, to be forgiven from their sin, to be brought into relationship with him. Um, you, you, want, you want a little biblical uh, technical language for a moment? Shake your head like you want, you know. Okay, you're still thinking? You want to think? Got to think on this one a little bit. Uh, some of you don't want that, so I won't tell you. Okay, so I was going to tell you about the difference between a type and an anti-type, but we won't, we won't go through it because we really don't have time. But what he was saying here is, I want you to understand that what God did in the Old Testament is what he did ultimately and fully in Jesus. And then what Jesus is, he, he's like the ark that saved people from the judgment of God. And as you think about it now, baptism which is, which is a, a symbol of the reality of our salvation. Not getting in a, in a tank of water, and if you're dirty when you get in the tank of the water, you'll be less physically dirty than when you come out, right? I'm not talking about removing some physical dirt, but I'm talking about removing the dirt of sin in your life. And how that happens is when you make an appeal to God, and an appeal to God is asking God to do something that he doesn't have to do. Jesus doesn't have to save us. Jesus does not have to give us his grace. Jesus does not have to give us his mercy. And when we, when we respond in faith to the living God, and I've said this many times, and I need to remind myself many times, there, there are going to be no proud people in heaven. And if somehow you've got a spiritual pride working within you, you need to check your heart. Because none of us deserves to be part of God's family. But we make an appeal, ask God to do something that, that he doesn't have to do, but we find out he wants to do, which is to rescue us. What he does is he takes everything that separates from him and resolves it because he forgives it on the cross. And, and I put it this way, it appeals to, for life change and to make a public demonstration of our faith. You know, when Noah was building the ark, uh, you know, he was ridiculed the whole period of time. And some say it took him 70 years. Some say it took him the full 120 years. Whatever period of time it took him. Um, the whole time when he was building this boat, they figure, what are you building this boat for? There's no water around to put it in, all right? He had to make a public demonstration of his faith, didn't he? And when his, when his family walked on the ark, it was a public demonstration of their faith. And when we participate in water baptism, it's a public demonstration of our faith. Our faith is what saves us. It's trusting him. God could use any means he wants, but he used the means of Jesus going to the cross, dying on the cross for us so that we can know him. He used, a, he used a boat in Noah's day to rescue them from the judgment that was coming upon the land. But for all those who went on the ark and all those now who, who are saved, it comes to a point where we have come to that place where we've appealed to God we've admitted our need and turned from our sin we've believed that Jesus is so he claimed to be he's fully God and he died on the cross and rose again and that we have chosen to commit our life to him and water baptism is simply the public demonstration of baptism does not water baptism does not save us but it does demonstrate that we have been immersed in him. And then finally, just one other verse. He ends this statement, this whole complicated section. He says, who is at the right hand of God? And the answer to that is, 
Yeah, that's the answer in case you don't want, no, you know, you could say this answer no matter what I ask. Who is at the right hand of God? Yeah, this is, all, this is Jesus' day, all right? So it's Mother's Day and Jesus. Who is at the right hand of God? Jesus, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. And he, he's just saying, look, I want you to understand that as we think about getting in on this victory, we have to make appeal to God. We've got to admit our need. We need, we need to believe in him. We need to choose to commit our lives to him. And then we subject or arrange ourselves under him. But the, the other unseen world who don't respond in trusting faith, he wants them to know and has made proclamation that they are all under him. And so when we think about going through life, and at times we go through life, we're not, we're, we're not enjoying, liking, accepting the things we're going through. What he's saying, there are, there are ways to understand the reasons for our suffering. And, and yes, could God change it all immediately? Of course he could, because all authority, as he left this plant, planet and gave instructions to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. But there are reasons for us to go through what we go through. So God shapes our character, allows us to celebrate Christ and draw other people to himself because we're faithful in the midst of no matter what we go through. So, the, so what this morning, are, are you willing to suffer? Not wanting to suffer, but are you willing to suffer for his sake and for his glory? Let's pray together. Father, this is a fairly unusual past. I've never preached this on a Mother's Day. Uh, but Father, it, it definitely relates to what happens in our homes and happens within our nation and our culture. And Father, I pray in the midst of suffering, your people might surrender themselves again to the supremacy of Christ in their life. And Father, help us to share this hope with others. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.